And so repentance is the way God looks at our sins, what happens to us when we do do wrong things, and where, where is our future? Is it in the, in, the, in the dust pile of life? Are we cancelled, forgotten, or are we condemned? Or is there another way through repentance to find um, joy and peace and understanding? One thing that seems to be bereft from our society today is the total concept of mercy. When someone does something wrong, there is no forgiveness. There's just judgment. So the word repentance captures our attention, but we don't talk about it very much. John the Baptist taught, and Matthew tells us that Jesus started his ministry with the same call, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But repentance is a negative word because we don't like being told to need, but being told that we need to change our ways. As far as we think we are right, and no one has the right to say that we are wrong. We shrink back from thinking about repentance because we know it will make us look uncomfortable at uncomfortable changes. Another reason why we don't like the word repentance is that it's often portrayed as being extreme. For example, you may think of the cartoons of the man with the megaphone on a soapbox shouting to the public, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance sermons sometimes leave me with an uncomfortable sense that acceptance by God is conditional on my ability to turn my life around. When you know that you can't change on your own, repentance teases you and you begin to resent it. That kind of repentance pushes you away from God rather than draws you into him. For example, I found a quote on the internet that talks about repentance in the wrong kind of way. It said, if you forsake evil and thoroughly make up your mind against it, then God will wash it out of his mind and just forget the whole thing. This message makes salvation conditional on my ability to sort out my life when I know that I do not have the ability to keep on keeping on. Today we'll focus on repentance as a positive thing, a thing that we get to do rather than have got to do. Repentance is a gift of God which directs us back towards him. It puts God at the centre of our life and in that sense our lives turn around, trusting God's promises by faith. In the Old Testament, the word repentance means to turn back. In the New Testament, the word means to think differently, to reconsider, to regret. In the psalm that we have before us in Psalm 32, there's reference to the word covering in different senses. And today we will look at covering in different senses. God made us to walk with him in harmony and peace, but our sin turns everything upside down. It spoils everything. It never delivers on its promises. Rather, it brings turmoil, suffering and evil into creation and into our hearts. One of the issues when we sin is that we want to cover it up. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we read, So that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife 
hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Like Adam and Eve, when we sin, we try to hide it, to cover it up. The shame of sin is powerful. We do not confront the issue, but we run away. Our consciences leave us in a horrible tension of trying to cover or excuse sin, but it doesn't go away. It agitates our hearts with guilt. We just wish it would go away. It consumes us. So we dig deeper holes and lie to cover our error. If we can't deal with our sin, it gets worse. It affects our health and our faith as it pushes us further from God and his people. All because there is unconfessed sin hidden in the depths of our heart. We cover our sin with distractions and deceit, with busyness or with pleasures. But repentance gives us a way back to God. There is a way. In the Old Testament, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are psalms of repentance. We will look at Psalm 32 to see how David worked out repentance in the wake of terrible sin in his life. David, described as a man after God's own heart, had committed adultery with Bathsheba. She became pregnant and his sin would be exposed. David took matters into his own hands. He tried to cover it up by calling Bathsheba's husband Uriah from the battlefield to spend the night with his wife Bathsheba. But out of loyalty, he stayed with the soldiers and did not go home. David was stuck. Instead of coming clean, he dug a deeper hole and arranged for Uriah to be killed in the battlefield by telling his general Joab to pull back in the battle to leave Uriah there where he was struck down. The reporter came back to David and said, Then the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, Do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore his son, bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. God sent Nathan the prophet to David. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It's in that context, in that terrible context of adultery, covetousness, lies, murder, that God uses David to teach us about repentance. And two psalms are particularly relevant to this period in, in, Nathan's, sorry, in, in David's life, and that is Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. So when we look at Psalm 32 in particular, and we'll float between 32 and Psalm 51, we will see that you cannot repent without confronting your sin, without understanding the nature of sin. Nobody likes to be called a sinner, and nobody likes to think and dwell upon his sin. Psalm 32 uses three words to understand what sin is. The three words are transgression, Sin and iniquity. So if you look at um, verses 1, Blessed is the one who, 
whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 5, this is the same triple use of, the, of reference to sin. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So firstly, David acknowledges that sin is a transgression, crossing the line, breaking God's commandments. Today, when you sin against public sentiment, you don't even know that you're sinning. The rules are not there. They're made up on the way. But with God, the rules are clear. God's law tells us what God's plan is for living what his will is. This is summarized in what is called the law and the prophets. Psalm 19, written by David. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Spiritual maturity is to be able to look at the law and the prophets in the same way that David does in Psalm 19. Do you love God's Lord? As in Psalm 119, Oh, how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Transgression happens when we disobey his law, his commandments, when we say, my will be done, not your will be done. Transgression is the legal aspect of sin, and the legal consequence of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death, it says in Romans. The Apostle Paul teaches us that without the law we do not know what sin is. In Romans 7, verse 7, Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. When your conscience troubles you, God is knocking on your heart to expose your transgressions. Secondly, in addition to transgression, David refers to sin as meaning missing the mark. And this is a common definition of sin, to miss the mark. Missing the mark acknowledges how far we fall short of God's law, how bad our sin is. What we may have thought was minor or insignificant is not innocent or justified, but is a lot worse than you thought at the time. When you thought your action was justified but now know it was unjustified, how what you did was or is offensive to God. Realising how far off the mark is proportional to the regret and the disappointment you feel when you confront your sin. It leads to sorrow, regret and repentance. There is no excuse for just missing the mark. Near enough is not good enough. Little sins are the same as big sins. For example, Uzzah, a servant of David, was killed when he touched the ark of God and he only meant to support it. Ananias and Sapphira were killed when they lied to the elders about the gifts they made to the church. And there are other examples in the scriptures which we recoil from. But these examples teach us not only near enough is not good enough, but teach us that God is a holy God, that sin is, is a travesty, is a terrible thing. Words cannot describe how bad sin is in the eyes of God. And it's a good thing that sin is bad in the eyes of God. For we worship a holy God, and we know that when 
when we re- when he returns, when we go to heaven, that we will go into his presence where there is absolutely not a scintilla of sin. This is why we worship a holy God, but this is why he gives us repentance so that we can fellowship in his name. Missing the mark reveals the nature of God, his holiness, his perfectness, and righteousness. It reveals the gap between us and God. How far we fall short of the glory of God. But sin not only reveals the nature of God, it reveals the nature of man as God sees us. Slaves to sin which control our heart with deception. In Psalm 51 verse 5, David said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In repentance we begin to see how sinful we are before God. That leaves us with no confidence in ourselves at all, but despair at our separation from the peace of God. So having described sin as missing the mark and transgression, the third aspect of sin that David identifies is the word iniquity. It's a word that is certainly not common today. David says in verse 5, You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Iniquity recognises the deep, twisted nature of our hearts, our perverse character that, tempts us, that leads us through temptation to sin. We begin to see the closer we get to God, our iniquity looks worse. It pollutes every part of what we do, say or think. When we glimpse iniquity, we see how sinful our ugly hearts really are. The world tells us that we are inherently good, but David tells us exactly the opposite. Our hearts are full with iniquity. The iniquity of sin reveals our awful nature, how when left to ourselves, sin taints every aspect of our lives. We are helplessly bound to our sinful nature. Psalm 51 again, verse 3, David said, when confronted with his sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Verse 5, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Repentance requires a change of heart. It is the iniquity of sin which has to be dealt with. It's the iniquity of sin that troubles our conscience and can spoil our health. Repentance requires a change of heart. David prays in Psalm 51 verse, it's not verse 2, it's about verse 10. I've got a typo here, but he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Fourthly, David recognised the deceit of his heart that comes with sin. Blessed is the man in verse 2 of Psalm 32. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David contrasts a heart without deceit deceit after repentance and the deceit of his because before he was able to repent. He was deceiving himself by covering his sin. When David coveted his neighbour's wife, He committed adultery and fathered a child. That child would expose him for who he really was. He tried to cover it up 
to cover his sin up, he tried to lure Uriah to stay with Bathsheba. When that failed, he organized to put him in the front line of battle and isolate him so that he was killed. It took Nathan the prophet to uncover the sin and drive David to humble repentance when he wrote Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. David did what we all do. He tried to hide his sin like others before him. Achan, when he took jewellery from Jericho and he buried it under his tent, God ensured that he was found out. Cain killed his brother, Abel, and when asked by God, where is your brother, Cain denied any knowledge, he lied. He said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And so on the examples go. Sin hates exposure. When we, sin, when we sin, we fear exposure, which shows who we really are. We fear the shame in the eyes of the public and try to cover our sins. It's our first impulse to cover it over. When Adam and Eve took from the garden, we read that when their eyes were opened, they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths. Genesis 3.8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the garden. David sets out the consequences of his sin, of his covering up of his sin. He kept silent, it says. He, it affected his health. His bones wasted away. He groaned all day long. His strength dried up. How do we cover our sins? Our hearts are so sophisticated and with evil, there are so many, many ways that we do this. But some that come to mind is that, first of all, we deny that we have done wrong. We deceive ourselves by telling ourselves it's love, and love can't be wrong. Or we say to ourselves, God is love, he forgives. Or we say, I'm not under the law, I have freedom from the law. All these subtle, deceitful arguments so that we can avoid the confrontation of sin. Or we talk to others who we think will agree with us and sympathise with our circumstances. It doesn't matter because no one knows. We run away from God, we deny him. We find excuses to blame somebody else. Or we distract ourselves with projects, work and busyness. David's repentance starts with uncovering his sin. In verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to God. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. <coughs> David made a deliberate decision to confess. Excuse me. David, when he repented, made a deliberate decision and said, I will confess my transgressions. It implies that he confesses even when he does not feel like it. The act of confession turns the heart toward God and the heart opens to God. It's a mistake to think you do not repent unless you feel sorry enough. David calls us to confess our sins and the feelings will follow. Consequences of repentance, of uncovering your sin... As a result of uncovering his sin, David can swing from the deep, dark mood that leads to repentance to the heights of knowing that God has forgiven him. 
Psalm 32, verse 1 again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you of upright heart. David gets his covering in the end. He sought to cover his sin, but after repentance he's covered by the love of God. In verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Verse 7, You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Verse 2, Blessed is the man against whom, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. His sin is forgiven. This passage is specifically repeated in Romans chapter 4 when Paul teaches justification by faith, just as if I'd never sinned. In verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul says, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So the offence of David's sin is covered and the legal price, his justification, is covered by this phrase that says God will not count his sin. God covered Adam and Eve. They were ashamed of, they were ashamed of their nakedness. While they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, God clothed them with skins. God covered David's sin God likewise covers our sins when we repent. We are covered by the death and by the resurrection of Jesus by the blood of God, the blood of Jesus. Timing. Repentance is not a right. It's a gift of God's grace. Not all who confess their sins repent. One commentator said that Ten people are mentioned in the Bible for confessing their sin, but only five repented. Men who did not repent include Saul, Judas, Pharaoh, Balaam, and Esau. David, of course, is an example who confessed his sin and repented. Verse 6 gives us a warning. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. Those words offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Some people think that we have plenty of time to repent, to come to God, and not a few people brush off God's claims by saying to themselves, I will repent when I'm older. Or others might say, I want to enjoy the world first and then I can come to God. But it's wrong to think that God waits at our beck and call or that we do him a favour by repenting in our time, at our convenience. Others will say, I believe in God if he reveals himself to me within a specified time. As if to say the creator God who made this world and the universe and made you and me should jump when I say so. God is not mocked. Verse 6 recognises that repentance comes in God's time, not my time. 
One of the sad truths is that older people who have more reason to repent and more reason to worry about what happens when they die are closed to the good news of the gospel, are closed to repentance, are closed to turning back to God. Let Psalm 32 be a warning, especially to young people, to those who think they can choose the time of their repentance. God is not mocked. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, In a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In verse 9, David says, Don't be like a donkey or a horse. There are three things which help us confront our sin and the impulse to repent. Firstly, there is our conscience. In verse 4, David says, God's hand is heavy, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God deprives us of peace in his relentless pursuit of our hearts. When you have experienced the guilt of sin, God's hand can be heavy upon you. When I first read this, this in preparation, it, it occurred to me I wouldn't have anybody else's hand weighing on myself. God's hand is heavy, but God's hand is gentle. God's hand is heavy, but God is, in lo is love. So, firstly, there's our conscience. Secondly, there's crisis. There is a saying that God meets us at desperation corner. When in his goodness God allows us to see how helpless and hopeless we are when serious issues of life go wrong, in facing failures, broken relationships or getting exposed in public when our world seems to be falling apart, God gives us a glimpse of his glory so that we can identify a glimpse of our iniquity. The third thing that draws us to repentance not only our conscience or crisis, but the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer says, Forgive us this day our trespasses. This implies that repentance is a daily task, not just when everything is in a crisis. So what does David mean in Psalm 32 verse 9? Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near you. This is a difficult verse to understand, but David is using the picture of a horse or a donkey which runs away unless the owner can put a bridle on its head. God is a God of relationship and love. He draws us to him through repentance. His desire is for us to love life in his presence, to be glad in the Lord and to rejoice, verse 11. Through repentance we can stand closer to his presence, Repentance should be something we are drawn into more often as we grow in godliness, not something like a mule or a donkey that has to be reined in with a bridle over, it, over its head. In an upside-down way, the better we are, so to speak, the more repenting we will go through because we will know God's holiness better and know our iniquity better. John Calvin famously said, there is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self and no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God ourselves better. 
Repentance is the pathway deeper into the presence and joy of the Lord. A.W. Pink said, The Christian who has stopped repenting has stopped growing. Don't be like the horse or the donkey which needs a bridle, in other words, a crisis to bring us into repentance. Prayer. I dare you to ask God to reveal sin in your life, how he sees you, not how you see yourself. But be careful. When he answers your prayer, be prepared to see God's holiness a little bit more clearly and your own sinfulness a little bit more clearly. I say a little bit because the impact is severe. Are you a donkey or a horse? Psalm 32 teaches us that repentance is a gift. It's God's gift of grace to draw us near to him. His beauty, his glory, and to share that glory with us to enable us to enjoy him and the gift of his joy. So often we reject repentance as it's not for me. But repentance is another way of another one of those things which we neglect to mine for the riches of God's glory. Though there were consequences for his sin, and I didn't spend time, but David still suffered under God's punishment as sin rolled out its effect in his life, in his family, and in the history of Israel. Many other, in spite of that, sorry, David could testify after repentance. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. David came through the guilt of his terrible sins knowing he was not condemned. With God, unlike the world, with God there is always a way forward for our future through the gateway of repentance. There is always a new day in Christ our Lord. His mercies are new every morning. Amen. Let's just pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we confess that we don't like our sin, we don't like repentance, we don't like being told to repent. We also confess that it's difficult for us to explain repentance in this world that we live in today where there is no sense of right or wrong to repent from. But we also glorify you because you are a God of mercy. There is always a place to come back to you through repentance, through trusting in your loving kindness. And Father, we praise you that this is only possible because you sent your son to die to pay those the legal consequences of our sin, to pay the price. Lord, make us ever grateful to you and confident in you that we can come to you in repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.